0: Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends.
1: For more information, visit Cane5.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. Guess what? It's another episode of What Doesn't Kill You. This is our Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. And um, this is part three of my uh, month-long exploration of food innovations. And if people have a great idea out there that they want to share with me on the, um, you know, on my show page on Facebook or just on the show page here on heritageradionetwork.org, um, go right ahead and write in a comment if there's something you want to explore or hear more about. Uh, let me know that. Um, but today we're going to go Back to the subject of insects, um, because quite honestly, insects are the future, my friends. And um, to that end, we are um, talking today with Andrew Brentano, who is the co founder and chief operating officer of Tiny Farms Incorporated, which he founded with his wife Jenna and their good friend Daniel Imri Situya, oh boy, Situ Nayake? (laughs) <laughs> in 2012, he is working to improve the efficiency and commercial viability of insect farming with the application of modern technology and data analytics. Um, you might remember that about a year ago, I interviewed uh, Pat Crowley, who was the founder of Chapel, um, C H A P U L, cricket bars. Um, he's one of a number of recent startups uh, that um, are using crickets as a form of protein in uh, in their uh, nutrition bars. They dry them out, grind them up. And um, one of the things that we talked about was the dearth, the difficulty of finding food-grade insects in a plentiful enough supply. And evidently, Andrew and his partner heard the call and um, three years ago started their uh, tiny farms. So um, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about it.
2: Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's a oh, sure. to be here.
1: Yeah, good. I'm glad you feel that way. Um, so first of all, tell us about Tiny Farms, because you guys are, almost, I sort of got the feeling that you're almost more of a platform to help other people do bug farming as opposed to your own farm, or do you have a farm as well?
2: So that's that's very close to the mark. We're, we're really a technology company that's focused on improving the technology for farming, improving the efficiency, um, introducing modern tech like you know, sensors and analytics and automation, kind of Internet of Things for bug farming. In the process, we are farming insects, but ultimately, what we're trying to build is a platform to let people very easily get into insect farming, so that the industry can rapidly scale as the demand is growing, which is growing hugely right now.
1: Yeah. Um. So now, one of the things that I saw on your website is that you um, launched something called the Open Bug Farm, which is basically an open source. Um, uh, what do you call it, um, blueprint for farming bugs, you know, as a consumer or just, you know, in your own backyard, I guess. <laughs> so what what's the difference? Like, what is Open Bug Farm as opposed to Tiny Farms? That's just a kit, or w- what do people do with that?
2: Right. So over the last couple of years, we've had literally thousands of people email us asking, how do I, you know, farm XYZ insect? How can I get started on my own at home? And it's basically way beyond the scope of what we could respond to, and it's kind of outside of our core focus. So we created uh, this open source platform where people can, uh, where we, we did develop a blueprints for a kind of home-scale mealworm farming kit, which we've shared openly, and anyone can build their
1: Uh-oh. What just happened? I'm sorry, people. We just lost our connection. But we'll be right back. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Sorry about that, Andrew. You're still there?
2: Yes, I am.
1: I apologize. Sorry, I, I don't know what happened. Uh, we just your sound just cut out completely, and um, who knows? It could be that you know we have this um, sort of crumbling website, and that's why we have a Kickstarter campaign launched that we want everyone to fund because we need a new website. We're really bad, um, but anyway, to go back to what we were talking about. Um, so you you opened this, uh, you created this open source platform for people to learn how to farm their own mealworms. Why would people want to do that? just curious.
2: are there a lot of interest from people that are just really want to sort of take control of their own food production. There's a uh-huh. lot of kind of backyard farming interest around. There's a lot of people that have backyard chickens that they spend a lot of money feeding mealworms to anyway, ah, and they can save a lot of money growing their own, they w- or they want to eat them directly themselves to get kind of the full environmental benefits of right. farming insects. Um, so there's this huge amount of small-scale in- interest, and we created this uh, it's a forum and a wiki and these open source plans, so it kind of has developed into really a community of people um, driving the whole conversation and innovating themselves around farming crickets, locusts, mealworms, all sorts of stuff. It's really exciting.
1: Well, I was going to ask you. Um, well, first of all, let's let's just how do you farm insects? Like what what's required?
2: At a really basic level, you essentially need for most species a plastic box, um, <laughs> okay. and then some sort of substrate in there for them to crawl around in or on. So if it's mealworms, you put some wheat bran or oats or something like that in the bottom, and they live in there and eat that. If it's crickets, you usually put something like um, egg cartons in there that they like to crawl around on. And then you have some trays with food or water at, the, at a very basic level. That's all that's required.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, interesting. And what about, like, um, temperature control and humidity? You don't have to worry about those things? I mean, obviously, they live in the real world, so I guess it doesn't really matter so much. But
2: Yeah, for for really, like, optimal uh, efficiency in growing kind of as quickly as they can, they do need to generally be warmer. Insects are poikilothermic, which is basically cold-blooded, mm-hmm. um, so they kind of take on their ambient temperature. And so the optimal temperature for mealworms is about... 75 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit, um, crickets as high 85 to 90 or so. Wow.
0: Um,
2: and they can survive basically at room temperature in your house, but if you're really trying to produce large volumes of them quickly, then you'll need to control the environment and keep it at that higher temperature. And then each species has its own kind of humidity requirements, but kind of middle range works uh-huh. in general.
1: So it's really easy to grow bugs, in other words, is what you're saying. Really easy.
2: yeah. Absolutely
1: um I wanted to get into sort of um, sort of the the ratio of you know input output in insect farming so um, like what do you what do you have to you said that they eat things like uh, oats or wheat bran or crickets eat I don't know what something similar I suppose um, so that stuff is pretty cheap <laughs> and then what's your what's your return on investment in insects? Like, can you compare this at all to conventional um, protein sources in the, you know, either fish farming or, or livestock farming?
2: Yeah. So the, um, the insects have about a two to one uh, feed conversion ratio, which is great. That means for two pounds of feed in, you get a pound of edible insect out Mm -hmm. at the end. This is very, very good ratio. It's about the same as fish. Um, So in aquaculture, a vegetarian fish, it's about the same, although the infrastructure for growing fish is a lot more uh, intensive since they're living water. It's a lot trickier to contain and stuff. Um, With chicken, it's 3 to 4 to 1. Pork is 5 to 7 to 1, depending on what they're eating. Mm -hmm. And cows, it's up around 9 or 10 to 1. So they're really the least efficient. And actually... um, Worse than that, because with all the vertebrate animals, you have a large amount of skeleton and tendon and stuff that you can't actually eat mm-hmm. um, That you're, that's part of that feed conversion. So it really is an even worse ratio.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's, that makes you think, doesn't it? Um, what about plant-based proteins like a tofu or something like that? What is What's the you know, I'm just trying, I'm trying to compare like protein sources and, and sort of see like, I mean, cause obviously this is going to be the future. I mean, I don't think people are ever going to stop eating meat, but there is going to be a finite amount that we can grow. And right. obviously there's no, literally no boundaries to how many insects we can grow. Cause we can just stack them up to the you know sky. So, um, what about something like a tofu or tempeh or some of the other plant-based protein products?
2: Plant-based proteins are great. they, obviously have really the highest efficiency because they're, you know, they're the first order production, Mm. Um, but there are problems with plant-based proteins. They're not complete proteins. There are certain nutrients that just are a lot easier to get in an animal protein. Um, A lot of insects have nutritional profiles much more similar to beef and chicken Mm -hmm. or vitamins, minerals than would a tofu product. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot less processing required to get you know, an alternative meat product out of an insect, because you can just eat it, as opposed to tofu, for instance, which has to be fermented and extracted and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there's problems with producing huge, you know, it, in a very diversified plant protein system, it's great, but we face this kind of huge monoculturing of land, mostly for soy production. Right. Most of that is going to animal feed, but you could imagine that switching over to, you know, massive tofu production is still not very good for the environment.
1: Yeah right yeah, i mean aren't they, weren't they complaining that they were cutting down rainforests in the Amazon to grow uh soy
2: I absolutely. See, I, to, I they, don't know whether they, that was true or not, yeah, but I certainly heard that rumor
1: yeah. yeah um <clears throat> so aside from crickets and mealworms, um what other insects do you anticipate becoming a food supply for humans are there Are there others that we are going to start eating sooner rather than later
2: absolutely, so the there are almost 2,000 species of documented documented species that in, uh, humans consume around the world, um, and that's sort of every variety of ants and termites and beetles and crickets mm-hmm. and locusts. Um, in the near term, we're probably going to see some uh, caterpillar species um, start to be consumed more widely. There are a couple that are already farmed, uh, including waxworms, which are really quite delicious, and also um, tomato hornworms are a uh, no. kind of
1: No, No, Andrew, uh, we can't eat tomato hornworms. I'm sorry. No, they're (laughs) too gross. That was my my daughter's job when she was a little tiny girl was to pick the tomato hornworms off of my brother-in-law's tomato plants, which she did with great joy. And I mean, (laughs) if nobody's ever seen a tomato hornworm. They're huge, right? They're like three inches long. They're really fat and plump. I mean, I guess I could see we did actually off the kids would roast them and the dog would eat them. Yeah. But so, I I just can't see humans going there. But you know, I, well, I digress. Once we
2: break down sort of the first barriers with the products, with the kind of concealed insects in them, and people start being interested in insects as sort of whole food item, particularly mm-hmm. when we start looking at the higher end restaurants that really want to explore the potential. There's going to be a lot of interest in larger species. So mm-hmm. you know, mealworms and crickets are quite small and they yes. grind up easily, but. um larger species of caterpillars or beetle grubs that are more like shrimp are going to start to be really interesting.
1: And, and who are you hearing this interest from? I mean, you just mentioned high-end restaurants. Like, are, do you have specific um, restaurants in mind or that you're already, um, you know, working on projects with?
2: So we, we just talk to chefs when we meet them mm-hmm. and kind of see what they're interested in. Um, there are uh, restaurants, there's a, a sushi place out there that's making um, – Cricket sushi, Um, they're at Noma, the world's best restaurant. It's been rated several years. Mm. Uh, They've been experimenting with various um, insect dishes, so they've been using ants. They've used crickets and locusts. Um, Locusts are another very exciting one, although they're trickier to uh, get in the United States than in Europe, uh, where they're widely farmed, but they're very large and much more like the uh, the size of, say, a shrimp than Mm
1: -hmm. a cricket is. Wow. Before we go any further, can you give us a sense of the nutritional profile of of some of these insects, just to kind of explain why 80% of the rest of the world eats insects, although we do not in, so much in North America or even Western Europe, I don't think. Um, what, what's, what makes them such a great source of, of nutrition? Absolutely.
2: The, the really big kicker is how much protein they have. I mean, insects are very high in protein and certain species very high in healthy fats. And so when you need fats and protein, like every diet does, they're just a go-to. They've got um, the kind of bi-wet weight they compare to uh, lean beef, chicken, you know, similar values there. So, um, you know, that's kind of the no-brainer. But they also are very high in vitamins and minerals. So uh, crickets, for instance, are very high in Iron, which is hmm. uh, something that many people are deficient in. It's hard to get in a sort of bioavailable form right. in diets, particularly in plant-based diets. And so that's sort of another argument for why there's a sort of big, valuable place for insects in our food system. Um, calcium, they, the exoskeletons actually digest as fiber, and so you have a high-fiber protein source. So oh. it's, it's basically a whole picture. It's a really great kind of across-the-board.
1: No, are you and your wife, uh, ento, what is the word, entomography? No, how do you say that? Ent- uh, ent- entomophagists. Entomophagists, yes. Are you entomophagists?
2: We certainly do eat <laughs> insects. We eat insects we grow that we buy, um, but we're not exclusive. We, mm-hmm. we eat mostly poultry in terms of meat, we eat eggs, we eat fish, you know, try to get things that are sustainably sourced, eat things, you know, in moderation, but... We're not exclusive entomophagists.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, well, that would be kind of boring. Ultimately, nobody wants each as one thing. I totally understand that. So you guys established your farm about three years ago. Is that right?
2: <clears throat> right. We got and, started in late 2012.
1: Uh-huh. And what? what's, I mean, obviously this sector is blowing up. And, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, Pat Crowley was telling me last year that it was actually very hard to find, you know, enough Farmed insects um, to really uh, you know meet the demand of his own uh, cricket bars um, so how many how many other people are are starting these large scale bug farms and, and are they all doing the same you know two or three different species or are there different farms doing different um, different types of bugs for different markets
2: at the moment there are in in North America or at least in the US and Canada there are three large uh, kind of Commercial scale for human consumption insect farms. Mm -hmm. These were all launched in the last two years, Um, and they are growing pretty much exclusively crickets and some mealworms. So it's still a relatively small uh, production chain, but it's also you know up three hundred percent from where it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are companies that are farming other insects for the pet food industry, and that have been for years. That are um have small amounts of their production that they will designate and produce for human consumption, mm-hmm. so you can get the hornworms or the wax worms or the scorpions and things like that. Those are very small niche markets almost all of the demand right now is for crickets and somewhat for mealworms
1: mm-hmm. you know that um you you just made the perfect segue into <clears throat> what makes something uh, human um you know for human what 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 Steps do they have to go through to create insects for human consumption versus for the pet food industry? Is there, I mean, I, I noticed on your um, on your website and one of the blogs <clears throat> that there's now like a HACCP plan for insect farming. W- tell me about that.
2: So each yeah each facility that produces insects and that is processing insects into a food product is going to have their own HACCP plan mm-hmm. um, that basically is a a plan of the whole operations, kind of mapping out where their risk points, you know, where there could be um, contamination get into a food item or, you know, pathogen risk, or even if you're using grinding equipment, you know, could metal filings get into something. And this is uh, completely standard across all food production. Sure. Um, And so essentially the insect production sector just follows all the same regulations that any other food production animal livestock follow. And that's sort of the big difference. Whereas with the um, pet food farms, there's very little in the way of regulation. You know, technically, the insects have to be, you know, not poisonous. You can't be poisoning people's pets. But it doesn't really matter where their feed comes from or, you know, how well you keep records of what's Mm -hmm. done. Whereas when you're talking about a food-grade facility, you have to keep very detailed records about everything that comes into the facility, everything that goes out. If you ever had to trace a recall through, that's kind of like a lot of labor to the whole process just to uh, do everything in that very stringent way. Hygiene requirements are very high. Uh-huh. Um, the feed has to be sourced, you know, an appropriate feed um, uh-huh. that can go into the human food chain. So that's the main difference
1: would would insects be a, a vector for foodborne pathogens like salmonella or listeria? I mean, it's hard to imagine how they would become infected with one of those bacteria. Like, is that possible? Or is that that would be something that would come into the plant on a, you know, on somebody's boots or something like that? I mean, how, how would that happen?
2: Just like you said, um... In order for the insects to pick up a pathogen like Listeria or salmonella, it would have to be a contaminant that came in either through improper handling um, mm-hmm. from a worker there or through the feed source. Um, and so, standard processing for the insects post harvest is um, a flash heating that will kill any pathogens like that mm-hmm. up to safe temperatures of meat. I think about insects is they're so small, they almost instantly heat through. And so it's very easy to get a safe um, heating sort of sterilization of that product mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, where you've got these chicken scares where people are washing chicken in ammonia to try and get the, mm-hmm. you know, effluent off from the butchering process.
1: Yeah, sure. Vinegar, yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem with the vinegar solution. I must say the ammonia is a bit upsetting. Anyway, um, you know what, Andrew? We should take a short sponsor drop here. Um, but stay tuned, folks. We'll be back with Andrew Brentano from Tiny Farms. We're going to talk more about insects and insect farming. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm. I love that. I haven't heard that before. That's great. That's right. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network. My name is Katie Kiefer and this is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. We're talking today with Andrew Brentano, the COO of Tiny Farms, which is a... um, a company that has been in the business for the last three years of growing insects for human consumption. So, um, Andrew to go further about, you know, so crickets are made into flour and incorporated into baked goods typically, right? Which eliminates most of the ick factor. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, mealworms are often consumed as is, um, Like, those are, I mean, I've seen them, uh, you know, incorporated into a stir-fry. I haven't really seen them cooked in any other way. Can they be processed further? Absolutely. Would you grind them into a paste, for instance, and turn them into, like, a sausage, or? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That sounds good, right? (laughs) Yeah.
2: Mealworms can be processed in much the way that crickets can. You can make a mealworm flour. A lot of the focus... Right now, it's been on crickets because it doesn't have the word worm in it. So there's sort of a lower mental barrier um, to incorporating cricket powder as opposed to mealworm powder. But actually, uh, mealworms are very delicious. They're very good for you. Um, There's a group of students that have, I believe they're out of Cornell, that have developed a process for making a tofu out of mealworms.
0: Mm.
2: Um, And there's a company in Belgium that is releasing... uh, burger patties, and chicken nugget products that are made with mealworms as well. So there's huge potential.
1: Yeah, amazing potential. I mean, I had no idea. I mean, of course, given the way we can conceal and and obfuscate... (laughs) With food products now, I, I I guess I shouldn't be surprised that uh, insects and worms should be so easily, you know, converted into something that was more recognizable, but that makes sense to me. Um, so one of the, I think it was last, you know, the week before last, I interviewed a guy um, from South Africa named Jason Drew, and he is growing flies uh, and turning, and the maggots become uh, food for poultry and fish farming. Um, do you see, uh, something similar for tiny farms or are you guys going to stick to human food or, I mean, I, I thought those were great. I thought it was a great idea to, instead of feeding, um, fish, uh, other fish, which is a huge problem. And, um, instead of feeding poultry corn as much as they, you know, they really do like insects better. So, um, would you guys be in the business of, of, uh, feeding the industrial agricultural sector?
2: So animal feed is really a logical next step for mm. um, our business. I don't know about exactly which industries. Probably aquaculture is the first uh, in the U.S. that so will really widely accept the use of insects, and it makes a lot of yeah. sense, particularly with all the trout farms, trout eat insects in nature, yeah. um as well as small fish. but. Um, Right now, we're really focused on the food sector because it's an industry that's able to be viable at a smaller scale. So uh, to launch a profitable for food production, Insect Farm can be done you know, in a sort of a small warehouse, mm-hmm. and that can really fund the R&D necessary to get the production efficiencies up to where they'd have to be to supply kind of the magnitude of orders that would be required for feed. Because if you're trying to supply, say, a chicken farm or a fish farm, even a relatively small one, they're going to be buying, you know, many tons of feed, hundreds of tons of feed. And if you're going to want to be supplying that raw protein to a large-scale producer so that they can cut down on their unsustainable fish harvest, for instance, Mm -hmm. they're going to have minimum orders of hundreds of tons of feed. And so that scale takes a huge amount of investment to get to. And the industry is really going to be able to ratchet up to that by starting with food where we can just make something that can be eaten as is that people will pay for and, you know, enjoy.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean, I would if I were in this business, I would definitely go for that, um, you know, scale up to that uh, industrial livestock farming market. I, You know, it just seems like such a. Um, such an easy and obvious uh, direction to go in. I mean, I can see why you would need, like, a lot of scale for that Um, and that that the industry is obviously growing. But, um, boy, let's talk about low-hanging fruit, my friend. And considering how we are going to have to stop growing as much corn and all of the other, you know, water-intensive crops that we use to feed livestock now, um, I'd be working on that really hard, Andrew. (laughs)
2: Well, absolutely. And it's the exact same technology for producing... For human food and for the livestock feed. And it's really just that question of scale. Mm -hmm. Um, And so right now we can start in businesses that are only big enough to supply the human food chain. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
2: as the technology matures and we're able to further boost the efficiencies and bring the cost of production even further down it will just roll naturally into supplying uh, animal feed.
1: Well, so what are the challenges now? I mean, um, what are the challenges to scaling up to that level? I mean, what uh, you said, you basically need a plastic box and, you know, a grow light and, and some corn, some uh, oats. Like, what's, what's holding you? What are the efficiencies that you're looking for that would make this, um, you know, economically viable to grow on the scale of, you know, multi-tons?
2: Insect farming is really really easy at a fairly small scale like like you described that it's just a plastic box but sort of the flip side of the simplicity of that setup is that there's more manual labor involved and so if you need to spend maybe even only a few minutes over the course of a week you know taking care of your one box of mealworms that makes sense at that scale Mm -hmm. but then if you're going to put hundred thousand boxes of mealworms in a warehouse Mm. and you're going to have that same few minutes of interaction with each one you're now looking at a really big labor bill Mm. Um, there's also just some sort of technical engineering problems around how do you actually maintain a consistent environment in each of the habitats when you have a lot of them stacked together so things like airflow habitat design ease of access, ease of cleaning and feeding, you know, like I mentioned, the hygiene factor is very important for the food grade system. So we have to design facilities and habitats that are very easy to access and keep clean. Um, The the waste byproduct of the insect is sort of automatically filtered out so that they're not kind of wallowing around in that, and there's nowhere for pathogens to harbor. So there's kind of a series of relatively well-defined, but sort of not yet optimized engineering questions, just to take it up to that big
1: scale. So um, just to go back for a second to my friend Jason Drew and Agroproteins, the byproduct of his maggots um, actually turns out to be much like, um, you know, when you uh, grow worms, you know, it's um, because basically his model is to uh, grow flies. Uh, The flies eat uh, basically compost or organic waste, um, and then they produce a very rich uh, soil component, essentially composted compost, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, which is then, which they can then, you know, use on farms as a, as a, um, you know, as a fertilizer. And would that be something that you could do with the waste from your insects, for instance? Would that be like an extra, you know, an added value product?
2: You're hitting on all of the pros, absolutely. The, the waste from essentially all insects is a really high nitrogen, ready to use fertilizer. Yeah. Uh, so, mealworms, frass, and cricket frass, particularly, is nice because it's essentially a dry, sandy texture. So, it's very easy to handle, very easy to hygienically get out of the habitats. Mm-hmm. And then you can literally just put it in a spreader and throw it over a field. Yeah. Or if you want, you can. Um, fermented a bit further into more of a soil additive. You could use it as part of a worm tea or something like that. Uh-huh. So there's for the um, sort of aspiring insect farmer. You've really got two great markets. You've got your uh, market for your actual insects, and then you also have your fertilizer market.
1: Right. That is, it's it's an it's an inspiring industry. I'm telling you, I'm ready to like get out the <laughs> plastic boxes and start. <laughs> getting busy with the mealworms um let me ask you this are there people who are do you see a lot of detractors do you see people who are like poo-pooing this as an idea for a food source um i'm curious about um you know how have you crossed the radar i should say of conventional protein growers you know like you know poultry people or pork people like what's what's sort of an industrial what's the take on you guys uh, from an industry standpoint
2: I think the traditional protein industry is not terribly concerned that we're all going to stop eating beef and start eating insects. I think for the same reason that most people, if you stop them on the street and ask them, would you give a burger? And instead only crickets would say no. Right. Um, but I think there are a lot of people that are very focused on the past. And although they might be sort of aware of the changing situation in the environment and uh, kind of the economy going forward, they're not really fully absorbing what the consequences of that are going to be. Uh, no, that's a, We're not trying to replace meat, like you yourself said. There's always going to be a place in the market for meat, but yeah. it's going to become higher and higher end, even with the kind of, in many ways, very disgusting You know, industrial production of livestock that occurs now. Demand is going to outstrip that, so the cost is going to go up. And insects Mm -hmm. are this great opportunity to introduce an alternative protein that gives you the great nutrition of an animal protein but can be produced cost-effectively sort of into the foreseeable future.
1: Right, and certainly for developing countries, I mean, despite their growing taste for meat, uh, the reality is is that it's going to be, um, as you say, out of reach uh, economically for most families, I think. Um, so it's, yeah, it'll, it's interesting. I, I mean, I think it's really cool what's going on. I, I love the idea. I mean, not that I particularly want to eat insects myself, but I don't, I don't think it's bad. And um, I think I've also learned that over 80% of the rest of the world eats insects on a, on a regular basis. It's part of the diet and it's only the Americans and, and, or North Americans and Western Europeans that seem to eschew uh, insect proteins um so what do you see what's where do you see your business going? tiny farms? Are you gonna um, basically just keep helping other businesses grow, or do you see your own farm as becoming or are you going to be like the bellwether who figures out the industrial scale production? Is that what you guys are working on now?
2: Yeah, there's uh, aspects of all of that. We will um, in the process of working on our technological development, be producing insects and be uh, running facilities that are producing insects into the food stream, so there's that aspect, but we really are focused on being a technology company and mm. developing the underlying platform that can uh, help the industry grow, and so ultimately we will be in a position where we're working with other businesses mm-hmm. uh, to help them get going, to help them bring their you know, value to the market, and to uh, you know, continue providing services to them in the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then it's really hard to say, further in the future, does it make sense for us to become a large producer for animal feed? Are we going to find that the human food market is so lucrative that this is where we focus? Everything is moving so fast right now that we basically, you know, are buckled into a roller coaster or a rocket ship, <laughs> and we're uh, trying to
1: keep up. That's fantastic. I'm really glad to hear that. So who are you selling, um, you know, who do you see are the biggest consumers now? It's it's Chapel, Cricket Bars, EXO. There's about four or five new companies, right? Who else Absolutely. is buying right them now, from you?
2: Yeah, right now there are a few sort of established companies, mm-hmm. uh, like you mentioned, Chapel and XO, um, Bitty Foods, a new one, Six Foods is coming to market, making a, a chip, which we mm-hmm. actually just got our first batch of and they're, Really tasty. I think they'll do quite well in the market. These
1: are cricket chips.
2: Yeah, they're made with crickets, mm-hmm. um, and but we're about to hit a point where bigger players are going to start getting interested. And so, um, you know, there's already kind of feelers out in the market from the large uh, food product companies. And so maybe Cliff Bar or Lara Bar is going to want to do a cricket bar. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're going to see the volume of demand you know, go up 10 times or 100 times yes. with one purchase order. And so there's, it's really going to start accelerating very rapidly.
1: Well, I read that uh, JetBlue, for instance, is, is if they are not doing it now, they're thinking about incorporating into their snack pack a cricket bar as part of, you know, what their, you know, their little giveaways, such as they are on air travel. Um, but yeah, that this is going to be, I mean, even just a, even just one airline contract, I would imagine, would be like a huge game changer.
2: Absolutely. And then when these products start landing in Whole Foods and get beyond, say, a local or regional distribution to a national distribution, you're talking about shipping, you know, millions of units. And Mm
0: -hmm.
2: there's, you know, right now, there are a few players producing, you know, millions of dollars in annual revenue, perhaps, but relatively small Mm -hmm. on the grand scheme of things. And it's going to be a very quick Uh, ramp up from that to this being a multi-billion dollar market.
1: Wow. So I should be thinking about buying stock when you go public, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And and then I have one last, like, sort of just kind of sort of boring, but for me always interesting. Distribution. How do you distribute your cricket meal or whatever it is, your bugs? Like there's no system in place for, so when you get to that point where somebody is, you know, distributing a cricket bar into whole foods or you know mealworm candy into something how are you gonna like where how do you connect with the distributor and you know like that part of the the puzzle is always a tough one for a smaller company that's looking to move into the mainstream the distribution aspect is always a really tough problem to solve or at least it often seems to be that way um what's what do you guys envision happening with your products
2: in the near term, the the distribution, uh, basically, system is not going to be sort of innovated. All, all the companies working in the space are just going to have to work with kind of the existing, really well-established food industry distribution system. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: work with, you know, buyers and distributors, go through the kind of standard ladder of distribution with the large retail outlets right. um, for the uh, companies. Um, like us and others who are going to be producing the raw inputs, it's a fairly straightforward matter of just shipping it in its state, whether it's frozen or dehydrated or ground, to the product company that's right. purchasing it. Um, so that's, that's a pretty well-established thing. Oh, we So just you just pack
1: them it. up into a you know, UPS box and ship them? No problem. Right,
2: exactly. Or a refrigerated freight car or whatever it is.
1: Because a lot Um, of times for a smaller company, if they have like what's called less than load, then they won't get onto a distribution truck. You know what I mean? Like if they don't have, if they don't take up the right amount of space in that truck, they won't get a spot, basically. Seems to be how that works. So I was just curious, you know, because it's still kind of an emerging market there for you.
2: Absolutely. And that's part of why the prices are relatively high right now. It's yeah. sort of the the growing pains. You know, it's an it's an awkward scale right now. Yeah. Where there's enough demand to drive growth, but there are certain economies of scale that aren't yet being reached. And so we're all just sort of gonna have to power through that stage and get mm-hmm. to the point where we're shipping truckloads or, you know, Half truckloads, and we have the relationships with distributors where it, it just goes very smoothly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, um, Andrew, we have to wrap it up here. Um, where can people learn more about uh, tiny farms? Tell you us can, how to promote promote yourself, my friend. Promote
2: absolutely. So you can <laughs> check out what we're doing at tiny farmscom dot com. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: So that's tiny-farms dot com. Or you can check out our or and also you can check out our Open Bug Farm Project if you're interested in kind of starting something out yourself, and that's openbugfarm.com, and that's all one word. We've got a form there, a wiki with information about all sorts of species and how to grow
1: them. Fantastic. You guys are so great that you made that available to the public. I love that. That's like very forward-thinking of you. Um, so, And I recommend the blog on tinyfarms.com. Um, I read it. Uh, basically, I think, every entry on it, (laughs) which, you know, there was a few of them there. And they're just very thoughtful, very interesting uh, pieces of information about this um, new and emerging business um, and, you know, where we're going in the future. So um, thank you so much for joining me today, Andrew. I really appreciate your time. And I hope you'll come back as things develop. I, I, you know, I, I don't plan to stop doing this program anytime soon. And I love to stay in touch with people that um, are doing something new and interesting and, and sort of chart their progress for both my own interest and that of my listeners. So I really appreciate your time today. Um, and uh, thanks to Kane Winery for my um, sponsorship. And um, remember, folks, we are in the midst of a Kickstarter campaign. We need a new website. Get on the website, on our website, hit that button and pay as little as $5 or as much as 5000 You know, this is absolutely completely unique programming you're not going to hear anywhere else. And that's not just my show. It's every show on our network Um, really deserves the love. So uh, please do look into supporting um, developing a new website so that we can uh, bring you all the more fantastic and unusual content um, than we have done in the last six years. So um, thanks so much to everybody for listening, and I'll see you next week with another innovation series. We'll be talking about processing uh, livestock waste. I love fecal engineering. Thanks, folks. See you next week.